0: Welcome to the PR Moment podcast, produced in association with the Marketeers Network. This week on the PR Moment podcast, in the latest of our Life Story series, I'm pleased to welcome Sarah Schofield, who's CEO of UK and Ireland at Grayling. Sarah has worked at Grayling for five years. Previously, she's held senior roles in Singapore at Flusham Hillard, Rudifin and Edelman. Grayling has nine offices in the UK, which is more than I thought they had, but uh, Sarah's no no doubt going to tell us all about that. 70 offices globally uh, and about 130 employees in the UK. Sarah no doubt can't comment on the numbers because of Sarbanes, Oxley and all that jazz, but Grayling has reported to have a fee income of about $55 million globally in 2018. Sarah, welcome to the PR Moment podcast. Thank you for having me. I should mention, as ever, thanks very much to the sponsors of the PMM Podcast, the PRCA, who are having their 50th anniversary this year. So, Sarah, shall we just deal with the, the Grayling question first? It's been a tough time um, for the fir- for about the last five years or so, um, but I get the feeling now there's a, a bit more stability in the business uh, and uh, the beginnings anyway of some green shoots.
1: Yes. I mean, I think what was interesting for me is I joined Grayling five years ago, as you said. Um, and I joined in an international role, but I was based in the UK. So I wasn't that familiar with, you know, the UK business particularly for a while. Um, and after a year in, in a role where I was working specifically with PayPal, I joined the UK business. Um, and I think my perception of Grayling was, was probably a fair one when I joined, which is it's very well-known business. Um, you know, it's been around a long time. It's very established. But it just probably needed a little bit of freshening up. I think
0: well it had, it was it it's had different bits plugged into it at various well, it times it it's borne out of a lot of acquisitions yeah, which, which is, I think was always
1: confusing and yeah. it's hard culturally I yeah. think to make that to make that work. So so I mean it's been fairly well documented some of it correctly and some of it not so correctly that we then through went we went through a, a period of restructuring. Yeah. Um and you know those you've got to kind of dig in when you do those things. You can't just expect change to happen
0: overnight. Because I think define dig in for me. What does that mean? It
1: means you've got to have the long term view. You know, you can't sort of turn around to to those that you report to. So in my case, Huntsworth PLC, and say, look, you know, this is all going to be fine in six months' time. I mean, it's very much a case of saying there are some really brilliant foundations here, but we've also got to get rid of the parts of the business that aren't working as efficiently as they should should be. Yeah. Um, And you know that takes time. Because you're dealing with people and you're dealing with clients and you're dealing with culture, all of those intangible things that require really careful handling. But equally, you've got to be quite brave um, and you've got to take some risks. And I was I was fortunate in that when I joined Grayling UK, um, it coincided with Paul Tave joining Huntsworth PLC. Um, and so it was sort of new beginnings for everybody, I think you, But you didn 't know Paul beforehand no, right. no, never met him beforehand, and it just creates a different window of opportunity you know I think it was there was more yeah. appetite for change, I think there was more appetite to do things differently um
0: well you 've got to attack in a way' because, yeah. you know that going too overboard you 've got to, you've got to believe in what you 're doing I, do, um, I think you I think have at some to. Point, these these business, everything like you reach a point where you can you've you can only go forward there 's no point sort of um being too defensive about what 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 grading was used to be, you've got to, you've got to now move forward with a, a new proposition, haven't you?
1: Yeah. And I, you know, I think PR agencies have to evolve constantly. So I don't think this is unique to Grayling. I think, you know, it, it, it needs change. But I think most agencies need to continue to evolve. And, and I think anybody that stands still and becomes complacent, to be honest, becomes a bit flabby. And, sure. and it's highly competitive out there. I think you've got to have a very clear and simple vision of what you want to achieve and what you want to be known for. And you've got to go for it. And it takes a lot of persuasion and it takes a lot of hard work. But actually, it's enormously rewarding because fundamentally, if you get the people right... Everything else falls into place, right. and I—I I mean that really is, I think, the definition of, of of success. Certainly, in my experience, that once you start to recruit the right people, and once you start to attract the right people, then you know the quality of the work improves. You become you know better known for your work. Clients take uh, uh, want to spend more money with you. Potential new clients suddenly take notice of you. You know, so it's it the people piece is really critical. And so, what what your original question about you know. How did we get there? A lot of it was about massive talent audit and right. just saying, we just want to be
0: known for doing brilliant work.
1: That's kind of, that was in
0: specific areas. Because, I mean, brilliant work. I mean, where do you start? Do you see what I mean? Were there bits that you, you, you focused upon first? Or
1: Well, we were always well known for corporate and public affairs. Um, our public affairs... Part of the business has always been really strong and continues to just get stronger and stronger and stronger. The corporate work was really good, but it needed refreshing. Uh, you know, and I speak as someone who started in consumer, moved to corporate, so. I think with corporate, it can be quite, quite linear. Yeah. And I think it still needs a bit of creativity. I think it still needs really good consultation, all of those things. And I think, similar to lots of the things that we looked at at Grayling, it just needed a bit of a sort of shot in the arm. It needed a, a sort of fresh pair of eyes on it. Okay. And then the consumer part of the business, which had been incredibly strong in the past, had, I think, just it just had sort of dwindled somewhat. Um, and so that really did require bringing in really talented people. So I, I hired Kat McGettigan from um, MNC Sarch PR last year to come and really sort of revitalize our consumer offer. Because we had all these sort of really good case studies and experience and foundations to build on. It wasn't like we were starting with a blank sheet of no. paper. It was it was about saying, right, let's harness the brilliance from before, but let's get rid of the bits that actually haven't been very helpful for us okay. and get into better shape
0: basically. So I was going to ask about how you, how you were structured and changed mm-hmm. the business and, and uh, I suppose, frankly, turned it around. But you, uh, it, what you're saying there is it's really about hiring, doing, a, a, I suppose, a talent audit and then yeah. hiring where you saw the gaps. Is, is it as simple as that? Or is there a bit more to it? A bit more to it.
1: I mean, you have to get commercially, you have to get the business into the right shape. Um, you know, you cut some costs. Yeah. I mean, okay. you know, you can't you can't operate a successful business if you if it's the wrong shape entirely. And if you've got too many people being paid too much money and not enough people bringing in money, then it's unsustainable. Yep. So um, so there was a sort of reshaping of the business. And we've also simplified the structure massively because we you mentioned at the beginning, we've got nine offices in the UK. We were really siloed, I think, as a business. There was, you know, you came to work for Grayling in Bristol or you came to work for Public Affairs, but actually, fundamentally, I just wanted everyone to come and work for Grayling. It doesn't matter where you are. And and from a client perspective, it shouldn't matter whether you work in Public Affairs or Consumer or in Edinburgh, you should get the same quality of work and you should be able to, it's recognizable as as a Grayling piece of work. So I think that that was really important too. Um, So we simplified the structure um, and we basically got three core services consumer, corporate, and public affairs that run through the whole business. Um, and so we may be geographically spread. But what we do is we blend our teams depending on the client need and the client problem that needs to be solved. So effectively, client X comes to us and says, I need to do this. And we, we don't worry whether someone's in Scotland or in Bristol or in London. We just say we've got people who've got the best possible experience to help solve that problem. The operational part is my issue to deal with, but it shouldn't impact the client. Uh, and that's really how we've, we've sort of
0: um, attacked it. Okay. So it was about... Because it must be a tough thing to do to to change a, any sort of consultancy firm, not just a, a PR consultancy yeah. firm, restructure it, but, but keep the client offer as good as you needed to yeah. in a really competitive market. So I mean, that's that, that must have taken some concentration, I suspect.
1: It does. And, you know, certainly in my experience, a lot of it came down to total honesty and transparency with the clients. We, we're very fortunate as a business. We do have a lot of very long-standing client relationships. Um, And I think that is testament to the fact that the work that Grayling has always done has been of a high quality. So I don't think that's changed. Yeah, but it was quite...
0: It's always difficult when... It was known within the PR sector that Greyling, financially anyway, and yes. not let's leave the client side, the client work out of it, is that was having a
1: yeah.
0: a, a tougher time. Yeah, I mean, not you know, I don't want to over-egg it, but it was a it was a difficult time. And so it's hard when clients probably know that as well, isn't yeah. it? So it, it must take some grown up conversations.
1: Yes, and and it takes the most senior people in the business to have those conversations and it is literally picking up the telephone or meeting someone face to face and saying this is what we're doing okay and it really so you don't, I mean, try, and, yeah.
0: you don't try and not have the conversation not, at, they, all. And not at all not are all.
1: yeah and also when you're making lots of changes because they were inevitably yeah, okay. and I've used this analogy before but when you shake a tree apples fall and so I had to have honest conversations with our clients to say such and such has decided to move on for right. example um, and you know as long as they felt that we had a solution that was not going to affect either the you know the work we were doing for them or the quality of the people that were going to be working for them, then they put their faith in us, which was which was fantastic actually, and we were hugely fortunate. But it was absolutely done transparently as honestly as we could
0: because I presume you lost a few clients who weren't up for that
1: ride. Strangely we didn't lose actually I think we lost one. Okay. Um, and it was one that had been in the business for a long time, and I think they were probably thinking, "Well, you know, this is maybe the moment that's given us the nudge we needed." Um, so I think you know you always prepare for the worst in these situations because you have to obviously do the risk assessment of what mm-hmm. you think is going to happen. Um, and we were really fortunate,
0: actually. Mm-hmm. So, where, what does what grading look like today compared to I don't know? Let's go three years, three years. Quite ago. Quite different. <laughs> yeah, but in, in what in what ways?
1: It's just it's got so much more energy. I mean, I just when I joined Grayling, it was, as I keep saying, it was a very good solid agency, but it just felt a bit dusty.
0: So does that mean culture? When you say energy, yes. does that mean the culture's changed? Because totally. that's properly difficult to change, yes. isn't
1: it? So the culture's totally changed. You know, I I believe very strongly and I try and lead by example that everybody who comes to work needs to be given an opportunity to realise their own potential. So they shouldn't be constrained by the business that they're working in. Right. There should be a, a sort of operating environment where people feel that they can, they can be the best they can possibly be. And, you know, a lot of big agencies, and we are a medium-sized agency, are quite constrained by bureaucracy and processes and, and the way they, they're, they're sort of, you know, structured. Yep. And I just wanted to get rid of that immediately and just say, look... This is tough. We are coming out of a period when perhaps things haven't been as brilliant as they could have been. But I will give you the latitude to really make your mark and be fantastic here. And so you do attract a very, very certain sort of person. Because some people are not up for that challenge. It, it's a bit too difficult for yeah. them. And that's fine because they're not right for the business. But for people who really are ambitious... And, you know, have a vision of their own, they want to realise and want to get absolutely stuck in and roll up their sleeves and work with a group of people who have got a very single minded focus and sense of direction. It creates a really exciting opportunity. And so what that then creates is that real energy and momentum behind it, because it's, you know, we've all got a very shared goal of where we're going, which is to be better and deliver excellence and all of that stuff. Um, But we're also creating opportunities for people who perhaps in much bigger agencies wouldn't have that level of freedom.
0: Okay. So uh, I'll come back to that in a minute because I yeah. think it's an interesting topic around how how agencies – well, large agencies' structures tend to be developing a fair bit at the moment. Yes, and they and are. You, you've sort of come at it from a yeah. – I don't know about a clean slate, but you know what I mean. So that, we'll, we'll come back to that. Just in terms of how graylings change. Okay, so we've gone culture mm-hmm. and result, resulting energy. Yeah. But what other bits –
1: I think our services have changed.
0: Okay. You know, we have, I've mentioned In the... In terms of the, the, the client product offer. Yeah, That's so okay. I
1: think we were probably a bit dated. Right. Uh, we now have a creative service team, which we which we didn't have before. I think we've always sort of flirted around the edges, but, you know, we have we have a sort of central creative services team. So we have, you know, two digital people. We have two creatives. We have an insight person. We have an in-house designer, you know, okay. which is perhaps where we should have been five years ago, but, but we weren't.
0: So the skills within the agency have changed?
1: Yeah, and mm. I just think it, it makes us, it, you know, we've got a better offer for our clients.
0: So has, I was going to say, has is the ch- type of work changed?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's still evolving, actually. Okay. I think, you know, we're yeah, still... Do-
0: it's important to say, isn't it? You're not yeah, at the end of this Absolutely not. And by
1: no like, means would I ever take my me. foot off yeah. the gas and yeah. think that I've, you know, we've arrived. I really don't think. I still think yeah. there's stacks we can do and more to learn and all that kind of stuff. So... Um, But I just think what I haven't done, and this is probably in answer to the next question that you referred to, there are lots of agencies that that like to have lots of new things. So, you know, for example, do we take on the advertising world, et cetera, et cetera. I, I mean, I'm a great believer in we have to listen to what our buyers want to buy. So fundamentally, we are a service industry. So we need to produce a product or a service that our clients really want And we should respond to that without trying to overcomplicate, I think, who we are, either by the way we're structured or by the services that we offer. And I think if you listen carefully to what your clients are telling you and what your potential clients are telling you that is going to help solve their problems and make their lives easier, then you should basically mold your proposition around
0: that. And you did that whilst you were restructuring yes. and redesigning the agency? Yes. And did you do that in a sort of a formal way or was it uh, just having conversations with people? No, it's much more
1: organic. Okay. You know, I, I read with great interest what lots of other agencies are doing and I, I have a huge amount of respect. You know, no two agencies really are the same. So yeah. it's, you can't really
0: say, well, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, yeah. Because actually they're, they're, they're servicing a different sector. or No, I, mean, you know. I meant talking to clients, actually, but in terms yeah. of what clients want. Or did you do that in a, in a formal way?
1: Not really. Okay. No, it was, it was much it. more about just having those conversations. It was back to that sort of honesty thing about right. what can we be doing better? What do you want to see more of? And understanding that,
0: and who have been the sort of key people in the in the sort of the the repositioning, restructuring of the business? Then, so certainly Dicky
1: Jukes, who's the chairman, uh, yeah. who co runs the business with me. So he previously was the head of public affairs. So he and I look at it from two sort of different sides. So he's yeah. very much more on the PA side. I'm much more on the PR side. Um, and he and I have spearheaded this whole transformation, all this this um, this evolution together. But then it has been about some very strong people who we retained from the past. Jonathan Curtis, um, who's now our COO, he has been in the business for a very long time, um, but is, is very sort of supportive of change and evolution. And then it's also about recruiting new people who have brought, you know, a different perspective to the business, have, have probably brought a different level of attention. So we, I've, I mentioned Kat McGettigan, who's come from MSC Saatchi on the consumer side, Tom Nutt, who's our head of corporate now, who came from Seven Hills. Right. Um, also, I mentioned the creative team. So Nathan Kemp, who joined us quite recently, he was at he was actually also MSC Saatchi previously. Um, and it's people like that who just bring a very different dimension to the
0: business oh, it's hard to get those types of people though isn't it from, yeah. from where you were at yeah it might be a bit easier now but from where you were at 12-18 months ago yeah. to persuade those guys to join you did you did a good job there well, well that's very kind I mean I've always been totally honest about the challenge right <coughs> excuse it, oh, me I said it because it's, it's a it's a problem that people face, isn't it? When they're, when they're trying to turn an agency around, yeah. you've got to get some momentum from somewhere yeah. um, and, and to attract the people who are going to yeah. help change your business. So totally. it's a vicious, a, a vicious circle if you're not careful.
1: But I do think, you know, I'm I'm quite front of house when it comes to talent, for want of a better expression, because I feel passionately about, A, the people and B, the culture. Um, and, you know, if I can sit in a room with someone and tell them, this is this is the journey we've been on. Right. This is where we want to get to. I need people like you to help me. I will support you. You know, make no illusions. It's tough and it's hard work. But it's hard work in all agencies. Just they have
0: different different challenges. Yep. That's all. Um, so you just you just p- p- brutally honest with them, and yeah. if they're up for the journey, then then great. And if not, then it probably wasn't right for you, and it yeah. wasn't right for them. Yeah. Fine.
1: I mean, to be honest, it's been you know I I don't believe in sugarcoating stuff.
0: Well, it makes it makes day two difficult, doesn't yeah, it? <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. So yes, all that stuff I told you. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, I was just going to ask, how do you? My, my final question on the sort of turnaround of graying—I yep. don't want to dwell on it too long—but it is an interesting point as to how do you? Because centrally, all, the, the, the central problem of all agencies who are trying to turn themselves around are probably having to deal with is they're trying to increase the quality of their work right. or the relevance of their work to yeah. clients, one yeah. of the two. That's I mean, that's a really easy thing to say, but much harder to actually say, right, we're at a level here and yeah. we want to get to a, a higher level. Yeah. Um, and all work's objective anyway. So, ha- you know, how did you go, well, actually, we want to raise our standard? And what, what steps did you, other than obviously hiring people, get that, but what did you do to try and um, imp- implicate that? I do think, I mean,
1: there were parts of the business, the quality was already really good. Right. Which is, so I had a strong foundation to work on. I think what I wanted to get
0: to point was consistency. Right. So it was about... Do you mean pockets in the various different offences? So in that sense, you had a a case of best practice. Yes. And it was a case of taking that around the business. Okay, right.
1: Yeah. So, you know, we had parts of the business that were, you know, I mean, without being rude about the past, because... There were some very talented people that worked at Grayling yeah, who right. produced very good work. It's just it felt slightly inconsistent. but that gives you a
0: starting point, doesn't well, it? And Is a it? great foundation yeah. to yeah. work
1: from. It's and yeah. again, you know, it's not like I was sort of looking at the rubble going, <laughs> What do I do? It was like I've got some really strong stuff here to work with, which was great. Yeah. Um but it was about that consistency point. Oh, okay. It was about saying
0: But that's much easier than much easier than, than the rubble moment, isn't yeah. It, if you're and it also again.
1: I'm obsessed by excellence. Right. So which sounds really sort of ridiculous, but I can't bear the attitude of people saying it's good enough.
0: Right.
1: It's not good enough if it's only good enough. Okay. It needs to be great. Otherwise, why, why bother turn up?
0: Certainly, in a consultancy business, yeah. it needs to be excellent. doesn't it? And so, yeah. I think
1: if you start with that culture at the top, where you're just—and again, it's about bringing people with you—I feel like it's all a bit evangelical. This—it's not meant to, but um, it is about saying to people, "We can all be really great if we support each other. We can do brilliant things, right. um, but we've all got—we've all got to be at the same place at the same time. You know, because okay. you, you can't be." picking other people up along the way. And so so I had good foundations to work from. Um, and then I think it is about making sure that once you've got best practice, making sure that that is the benchmark and nothing falls beneath it. And then I know... Which is I,
0: forever a work in progress, isn't it? It is. You know, but then never, again, yeah. it is
1: about the people. I know that's, I'll keep repeating that. But if you if you hire really talented people who are ambitious and hungry and, you know, and especially if you bring them in at a junior level... When you start to train them, ambitious, hungry
0: people occasionally leave, but you know.
1: But that's just the nature of our world.
0: Yeah, exactly. And there are always others. You know,
1: there are always others who are more ambitious and hungrier. So, and I think the earlier you bring them into your business, the more you can say actually, in this in in this agency, it is about excellence. So therefore, you know, nothing else, nothing else really counts. Okay. So if, if you start them off at the right level, then they tend to be sort of quite productive and useful for much longer.
0: Fine. I was just thinking about the, the, the global nature of Grayling for a moment. It, 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 I get the impression the UK is the biggest, biggest office, is it, these days? Or
1: yes. It, I mean, yeah. we've got a really big footprint, owned footprint in Europe. Right. Um, so I think of all the global That's agencies. That's the old
0: TriMedia legacy or something like that. I yeah. And
1: MA, uh, is it, what was it? Um, MMD in okay. Eastern Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we do have, but I think in terms of actual numbers in one office, I think the London office is the biggest. Okay.
0: Now, moving on from letting off the hook on the, the graining restructure, yeah. um, moving on to um, uh, your your previous um, t- employment times, um, you were in Singapore for seven I years. Was. I was, um, which sounds hot to me. Very. But, um, how did you? How did you? Uh, just tell me about the Singapore element to your to your career. How did that come about? So. Um
1: unfortunately it wasn't really driven out of anything professional i was I, I followed my boyfriend who's now my husband so it was clearly the right decision to make but um he got offered a job in singapore i'd been working in london for a long time And um, thought it could be nice change, actually. And I always quite like the idea of getting some international experience. So my Singapore working life was was very varied. I mean, I worked for a number of big agencies, including Edelman and uh, Fleischmann-Hillard. But also a smaller agency, Finn, and a really, really small local agency called Fulford PR. So I really did run the sort of, you know, the full gamut of, of the different types of agency experiences. And, you know, it was interesting because... I think I, you know, when I was when I started in PR, which was a million years ago, it was still press releases and faxing and and all of that stuff. And it was quite tactical media relations, really. And we started, especially when I was at Freud's, a lot more sort of brand marketing work, which was which was at the time much more cutting edge, etc, etc. And I think when I got to Asia, what I was surprised about is they didn't do a lot of that media relations stuff. They'd sort of they'd sort of leapfrogged Mm. And gone straight into really good sort of strategic thinking okay. and execution. So you know, so then you come back and people are still doing press office work in the UK, and you're like, oh,
0: okay, people still do this. When stuff. you say Asia, do you which bits of Asia do you mean? Because I, I mean, I hear differing stories depending yeah. in. Depending on what, which bits of Asia you you, you you mean, obviously in Singapore it was more brand marketing, was it? Or, no, it was much more corporate B two B, of course, because there's yeah. less of a
1: yeah. There's just not a very big. It's not a big hub yeah. for consumer business, but yeah. it is a big corporate. Okay. Sort
0: of. So and where? So where constant. in Asia are you saying that there was a, a, some really good examples of, of brand marketing going on?
1: I think there was a lot going on in China. Okay. Um, yeah. You yeah. know, and especially in sort of luxury goods. Yes. I, I think, I mean, to be honest, I was very much more focused in Southeast Asia, um, just because that's where Singapore is. Um, but I do think there was a lot of brand marketing. And I think certainly um, since I left Singapore four years ago, there are a huge amount more agencies now than there were when yeah. I was there. Yeah. Um, because I think it's it's strategically very important. Yeah. Um you know, and it's English speaking and it's a good hub and it's a good place for people to live as well. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I think it was that I was just very impressed with the sort of the quality of the more junior staff. And I think, you know, they obviously maybe leapfrogged the sort of the bit when I started Great. in the UK and started at a higher level. Yeah. Um, and I think the quality of their work is very high.
0: Is it funny. I was chance to somebody this morning, and I, I find that we have a regular listeners will know. I have a we have a, a PR moment in India, and it is it is interesting the different mindset you have. Uh, it's a subconscious thing, I think, but you see it in in the UK versus going over to Asia. Yeah. You know, if your GDP is growing at ten percent, fifteen percent, and the PR market is growing at. 20 percent. Exactly. It is a different mindset you have yeah. about the scale of work that you might do, or the type of budgets you you, you, you yes. think you might be able to get. Just, and it's it's totally subconscious. And but you can just see that if you're growing at much smaller rates, that you we you you are normally much more conservative in your approach. It seems to me.
1: I think that's right, and I think it's also the pace.
0: Yeah. You know, it's just. Yes.
1: There's so much to do. There's so much going on. Having
0: said that... And maybe a bit of supply and demand as well, actually. Yeah. Because if a market's growing, good agencies will probably be able to pick and choose which plants they work for. But I, don't I do. Know.
1: And I think, you know, I mean, it's, it's a terrible generalization. I do think that to sort of say that they, they've leapfrogged because I'm sure there are parts of Asia where they still do quite tactical work. Um, and I just think... They've sort of ha- they haven't started with that. They've started with the more complex work, right. but they can do both. Yeah, I think. Can, right. um, but I think probably the UK is probably the most sophisticated market yeah. PR. Yeah,
0: that's probably going to upset people. Um, well, not of, not of this particular podcast, <laughs> but um, yeah. Um, so you spent seven happy years in Singapore. Seven happy years. Um, I mean, it does beg the question why you came back and, and ended up working at Grayling in the UK. Well, again, I'm, I followed my husband. His damn husband. I know, honestly,
1: I know. It's not terribly strategic of me or very aspirational. Uh, no, he decided he wanted to be a teacher. Um, and so we had to come back to the UK. Um, well, so I got a job with Grayling. You I could be a teacher in Singapore. You can't teach at international schools unless you've got an English qualification, which right. you can't do by correspondence or… Okay. Or remotely. So we had to come back. And actually, you know... So back you came. Back we came. And, there's and look that. at you now. Look at me now. I know who'd have thought. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so as I sort of, you know, scrabbled my way back into the UK market. Um, yes. Is,
0: is he now a happily qualified teacher? He is,
1: thank Brilliant. you very much. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, tick, tick. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I joined Grayling, which I knew, you know, I knew Grayling quite well. I knew quite a few people that worked at Grayling, particularly in Singapore, actually. Okay. Um, and they were looking for somebody um, to run the PayPal business globally for them or to increase it from um, a sort of a mere part of the business to a much wider relationship. And I had been prior to that working in Singapore for Fleischmann and one of their biggest global clients was Visa. And I was responsible, uh, the sort of CRM, if you like, for for Visa for Asia, Pacific, Central Europe, Middle East and Africa, mouthful. And so I knew the financial services and payments world and I also knew about sort of regional and multi-market coordination and hubbing and all that stuff.
0: So um, you said, I can do
1: that. And I said, agreed. I'll have a crack. And they yeah. said, go on. Right. Um, so I I took on the PayPal job um, and spent a lot of time traveling around um, Asia,
0: North America, Europe. And that was – but that was in a sort of the – frankly, the – should we say the toughest time for grading that we we alluded to earlier – and then, then what happened? You was just saying in the pre-show chat, sort of Pete Pedersen left...
1: Pete Pedersen left Grayling and um, sadly the PayPal business went with him. Right. Um, which which rather left me in a, in a difficult position. And Alison Clark, who was my predecessor, yeah. uh, who was the CEO of the UK, approached me and said, would, would I like to come run the corporate team for Grayling UK? So um, So I took that on and that was in April 2015. And then she decided to step down in the June... Uh, and very kindly uh, and unexpectedly asked me to take over as the MD. Then, yeah. um, so
0: and here we are. And here you are? Yeah. Um, so you made that step from the the, the PayPal PayPal yep. Global um, MD to Grayling MD. That's not a, G- G- Grayling UK MD, I should say. It's not yeah. an obvious. It's quite a step, that isn't it? I mean, it's it, it's a. W- did you feel? suddenly that you're responsible for a lot more people. Oh, yes. Um, and it's, so it's... It's a very different job. Yeah, exactly. Very different job. So it's job. quite a was, a... was there a sharp intake of breath on yeah. day one?
1: Yes, because, I mean, to be honest, I didn't expect it at all. Right. Um, I hadn't been in the UK business for more than three yeah, that's months. That's
0: true, isn't it? Yeah. So... Right.
1: It, oh, is it as quick as that? Yeah. So it
0: was only... Right.
1: But I think, you know, I was... I had a fresh pair of eyes. Yeah. I, I had been overseas, and I think when you've worked internationally, you, you tend to... Maybe bring something that other people, you know, a different perspective that might be might have been interesting.
0: But with hindsight, it was maybe quite a good, quite a good move from all sides actually, because you have had some international experience, yeah. as you say, you were a fresh pair of eyes. Yeah, you were motivated to, to change things up a little bit. Would coincided with the with the appointment of, 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 of Paul. To, yeah, yeah, so that it all worked out. I think so. Well, I hope so. Um, now, one thing I, I do love about your story is that. Um, I don't mean to, to, to come out the wrong way, but you started life as a receptionist. I did. Um, where were you a receptionist?
1: I was a receptionist at a financial PR agency. Oh, a PR.
0: Okay, yeah. right. That's, that's, even, that's an even cooler story, isn't it? Right. Well,
1: yeah. So I, I decided I wanted to go into PR. Um, I should, let
0: me, hang on. Let me just put the question as well. Because <laughs> okay. you started off as a receptionist and you've ended up as MD, which is, a, you know, that is an inspirational story, isn't it, that, that um, we, should, we, should, we should dwell on and, 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 and work out how that happened.
1: Well, um, I hope it's inspirational. I think some of it was luck. Well, it has to be, isn't it? Oh, um, yeah. I, I wanted to work in PR, and but I also, when I left university, wanted to live in London, and that was expensive. And okay. to be honest, the, the job I saw advertised, working <clears throat> for a financial PR agency as their receptionist, was better paid than going into PR.
0: Brilliant. That's funny, isn't it? So it was, unfortunately,
1: wow. I mean, all of these things, following my husband and being sort of financially motivated, none of them are painted me in a very positive light. But anyway, um, so I... I did I bet that. That's still
0: the case today, isn't it? I bet. What? I bet the receptionists learn more than the, <laughs> the, the, the the first year grad in PR. But um, oh, I don't know. But um, yeah. possibly, possibly. But Which financial PR firm was it? It was, it long was called. called
1: Haggy Bins, and I oh, think no, it, I don't know one, right? okay. it's now called something else. I think. But like, um,
0: it's a good name, isn't it? Haggy yeah. Bins, so I, I, but
1: I clearly, I mean, I sort of, you know, I had to stuff envelopes and do all yeah. that sort of stuff. So I sort of understood a bit about what was going on, but. The financial PR world was not one that I had a massive affinity for. (laughs) So I then moved to work. I suspect
0: you're not the first person to say that. No,
1: but, you know, and I have huge amounts of respect for people who work in financial PR. It's just, it just wasn't for me. Um, Anyway, so I ended up going to work for a cable TV channel. um, In PR? Yes, in their press office, um, which was... Again, I mean all of this was sort of a massive learning curve within the sort of first Well it year. is in that
0: first in that point in your career, isn't yeah. it? For, for, you know, no just, matter what career you exactly. have to be doing.
1: Yeah. yeah, just sort of understanding okay. you know
0: So the receptionist was to get into PR yes. and then you got a job in PR yes. and through various jobs in various places yes. at various times. Yes here you are today. Here I am today. So you actually always wanted to be in PR? Yeah. How come you worked that out at such a young age then? I,
1: I didn't really know what it was Um, and I don't think I mean I went into PR because I'm ancient in 1994 so I mean PR then is very different from what it is now it was it was much more tactical Um, it wasn't probably so highly regarded but people said to me, "You, you do not paint a lot- us in glorious, yeah, glorious well, lights." We're talking wish- about twenty-five years ago, which is really depressing. <laughs> are we really but, um, that
0: strategic and and, and that? Yes, are we? we are okay. now. We
1: are an important part of the you know of the mix. Sometimes so, um, we are. Sometimes we are. Yeah. But I um, no, I was. I think people said you you know you talk a lot. It's, it's probably been borne out by this interview. Um, and it's been I've
0: just, I've just sat here. <laughs> brilliant.
1: Um, and I mean, it was implied to me by my friends that I was. An effective communicator. Okay. Um And so someone said, you should go into PR. what that. And so I was like, okay, let's right. find out what that is. And, and that's really, you know, where it all started.
0: Good piece of advice. Yeah. Now, was it your time at Freud's that kind of made you as a, as a yes. PR person, do you think?
1: Yeah, that's without a doubt. Of... I mean, I joined Freud's in, let me get this right now, 1999 to 2003. So not that long. I mean, four, four years. years you know, um, okay but and it was it was when freuds was really i think at the cutting edge of certainly brand marketing i was i was on the brand marketing side at that point um, and was you know was risk taking was maverick in what way just brave, you know, I mean, big ideas, because people didn't invest in sort of big consumer ideas at that point. They invested in sort of celebrity PR and stuff. And Freud's was well known for doing that, too. So, you know, it's not to be disparaging about that. It's not at all. But, you know, for the likes of sort of Pepsi or uh, Nike to really invest in sort of in brand marketing PR, it was it was a moment where it just felt that everything was possible, actually. And I worked with some incredibly clever people. At Freud's, who taught me a huge amount. I mean, it was it was a tough environment at that in those days. I don't, I, you know. I think
0: those sort of places. I think PRCs can be tough yeah, environments. And I think that's so. Probably, but you learn going to be the case. You yeah. learn
1: and you learn quickly and you learn properly and you learn well. And you know, I think it when you produce really brilliant work that <clears throat> I think Freud's was producing then and still does actually. Um, but what are the when you say you learned? Yeah. A lot. Yeah. What do you, what do you mean? What, I learned the art of
0: okay.
1: telling good stories. I learned the art of deconstructing what a client wants and being able to respond to it. I learned the art of actually making PR a strategic discipline rather than a tactical one. Okay. Um, and also the value that it has. And, you know, and also we did some really interesting stuff. You know, I mean, I remember doing one of the very first campaigns with short deodorant for breast cancer. You know, and this was in sort of 1999 or 2000 with a calendar of famous ladies, you know, sort of naked, but taking their photographs from the, from behind. And, you know, things like that just hadn't been done before. Um, and I think it really opened people's eyes for the opportunities and the creative opportunities you could have as a brand that didn't just sit in advertising.
0: Sure. So can, should PR ever be tactical these days? Because you, yes. you talked about that a, a bit.
1: Okay. Yes, of course. I think right. it absolutely should be. But equally you know, it does have a strategic role to play. Yeah. I do genuinely believe that reputation is so critical to commercial success, you know, to people's understanding of organisations that actually, you know, to protect your reputation or to enhance it is a fundamental need of the board. And and that's the role that, that PR should play. Yeah. But having said that, There is still the quick and dirty stuff. There is still the the need to communicate regularly to, you know, to have that drumbeat of tactical communication um, Mm. because you can't just have huge peaks and troughs. You know, you need to have a consistent communication dialogue with your stakeholders.
0: Okay. And finally then, what's the the plan for Sarah Schofield and Grayling going forward?
1: Well, just hopefully more evolution. Okay. Um, You know, just continue on the trajectory, which I hope still heads in the right direction, continue to grow. We had a good year last year, which was great. Um, But as I said, I don't think the painting of the fourth bridge is quite finished. Um, It's still about attracting the best people, still about doing the best work and, and hopefully sort of, you know, reaping the benefits in the future.
0: Sarah, good luck. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the PR Moment podcast produced in association with the Marketeers Network. If you'd enjoyed the show, please do review us on iTunes and give us a decent rating.